Margaret, open the door. It's your mother, and I'm hungry. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whoop? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Nudie Bar, where it is breakfast, lunch and dinner here as we usher in a new season. It's season 10. This is guess who's coming to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My name is Bundiana, and I've always wanted a place where I can stretch out and do nothing. So I'm going to put in new carpets, new drapes, and a new third step. Nice, nice. Sounds like a good project. So anyway, my name is Matt, and I haven't been my usual self since Desert Storm. Hi, and this is Luigi. And neither have I, Matt. I haven't been since I watched the whole thing on CNN. (laughs) You poor, poor man. (laughs) So this is Guess Who's Coming to Breakfast, Lunch and Dinner, Season 10, Episode 1, originally aired on Fox on the 17th of September, 1995. Written by Russell Marcus and directed by Jerry Cohen. Well, I can tell you who's coming to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because the guest cast for this episode is Tim Conway as Ephraim Wanker, Kathleen Freeman as the voice of Peg's mom, Jennifer Aspen as Jamie, Eric Floyd as Twitchy, and Gunther Jensen as Clyde, the removalist. Bud finally decides to move out of the house and converts the basement into his love palace. But his old bedroom doesn't stay vacant for long when Peggy's parents split up, sending her gargantuan mother fleeing to Chicago to take up residence with the Bundys, much to Al's horror. Seeing the only possible solution, our miserable Al ventures to Wanker County with the hope of convincing Peg's father Ephraim to make up with his wife. Not since Jurassic Park has the world witnessed an event so terrifying. Tonight, Al Bundy's mother-in-law is moving in. She's distraught. She is humongous. Don't miss the biggest premiere of the season. There she goes. Married with children. Tonight at 9, 8 central on the New Fox Sunday night. So something humongous this way comes, said an ad for this episode. And by ad, I meant a TV guide promotional piece so a print ad yes a print ad that's the word so yes it's a new season there's a few new changes which we'll get into as the podcast goes on but the first thing you'll notice is we've still got the same credit sequence the opening credits are still the same as season nine and that's going to remain for this episode and the next two episodes because there's a very big reason that the credits will change for season 10 in episode 4. So at the moment we've still got the season 9 credits and Kelly's hair is still short-ish but you'll notice it's actually quite a bit longer than it was in the previous 
season, especially in the last episodes of season nine. Her hair was really quite short, but here it's grown quite a lot. But that's because um, Christina Applegate is wearing a wig for almost all of this season, from the very start of this season 10 up to and including episode 24. So for the last two episodes produced for this season, as in Torch Song, Duet and The Jokes on Owl, that is her real hair, she is wearing a wig. Why? Well, she dyed her hair red. And there are pictures out there with her with red hair, but there's a pretty good interview with her and David Faustino when they went to Israel to promote the show in early 1996, and she's got short red hair. She said in that interview that she, between seasons, and I've mentioned this before, but between seasons she liked to dye her hair red, I guess just to escape that blondness or whatever, and shouted out as Kelly on the street or whatever I don't know but all those things but she decided to stay red this time there were her words you know Annabelle was she channeling her uh, TV mom yeah I, I, I do wonder I just <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd always wondered why red whether Peg has had a lot of influence over her but she did um, Christina did film a movie called Nowhere around this time and whether or not the dates sync up is well that's what the internet says and the movie was released in 1997 but it could have been filmed between seasons 9 and 10 because in that film she has short red hair so she's still got red hair so she's wearing a blonde wig because the producers are adamant that Kelly Bundy has to be blonde that makes sense. I will say on a side note, uh, um, Christina Applegate still looks good now. Her hair looks good still now. I'm glad she grew it out longer again and is rocking her natural blonde um, in her late 40s. Mm-hmm. Very late 40s. And I just want to say to us as a group, I mean, congratulations. We are starting our third season hosting the Married with Children podcast. So we hope our fan base out there in uh, across the world uh, has been enjoying what we've been doing. And uh, just a shout out to the great Alex that uh, thank you for this. We still miss you and uh, we hope to have you on this season. Absolutely. So, yes, this is our third season as a, a now international podcast and today this week is a very international podcast so we are between us having breakfast lunch and dinner how about that that's right so this episode the title is guess who's coming to breakfast lunch and dinner and that's a play on the title of the film guess who's coming to dinner a 1967 american comedy drama that people probably know Starring Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, and Sidney Poitier. It was directed by Stanley Kramer and written by William Rose. The film was one of the few films at, of the time to depict an interracial marriage in a positive light, as interracial marriage historically had been illegal in most of the United States. It was still illegal in 17 states, mostly southern states, until June 12, 1967, six months before the, this film was released. So roughly two weeks after Tracy filmed his final scene and two days after his death, anti-miscegenation laws were struck down by the Supreme Court in Loving versus Virginia. Yeah, and you know, uh, that, um, that Supreme Court case has been cited a lot recently. I mean, there's been, um, for example, same-sex marriage cases, um, and it's also been celebrated. I know that June 12th is, I believe, uh, now celebrated across the U.S. as Loving Day. So, um, you know, very relevant in, in 2021. Definitely. 
So this is the first episode of season 10, but it's actually the second episode that was produced. So they, next week's episode they actually produced first, but it looks like they wanted to come out stronger with introducing a certain character to the audience. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that, this is probably, I'd say, the first episode, um, if I'm not mistaken, where uh, the premiere is not in the same order as the production. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's almost like, you know, season two, it's like the first episode. Season three, there's the first episode produced. But in this case, you know, uh, it, it, the order was really m- mixed up. And I'm trying to remember, I guess in Shoe Room with a View, the next episode, uh, the Kathleen Freeman voice is not, uh, we don't hear her at all. But I, I guess they wanted to, to sort of set her up as the seven of this season. Although I think a better, <laughs> at least in my opinion, I think she's a better seven uh, extra character. Although, like, I didn't really like the character too much, but uh, I think she was a better character than the seven character. Again, no offenses to the actors. Yes, agreed. Uh. Yeah, it, it is that, it, again, an addition of a. Not an obnoxious child in this case. I mean, she is a new addition, so it's like having a new family member, like Seven, but she, like, she's a better version of Seven. She's a funnier version. Definitely, by Country Mile. Uh, yes, uh, I will say uh, Pe- Mrs. Wanker, uh, Peg's mum, definitely has some good scenes, even though, even though you, she's one of those unseen characters, much like uh, Maris and Frasier or Norma's wife in Cheers. Yes, I think it's better left unseen. Yes. In her case. Yeah, we'll talk about her a little bit more, but um, I'd say like that is sort of the, the big thing about season ten. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something humongous this way comes. I was thinking about what you said with the the episodes being filmed first or whatever, but um, well, season eleven definitely didn't. But seasons two and three and five, they produced their first episode second. Like this, really? like season ten. Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, actually, yeah, season st- three was right, I aired a bit later because, yeah. Well, season three, the first episode they produced was the camping show, a period piece. That's right. And that didn't air till later because it got held back. But I think they wanted the he thought he could episode to be first up in season three anyway. I'm glad they did that because um that's one of my favourite season openers. So I'm glad they picked that one to be open season three and not um, the camping show. I love the camping show too, don't get me wrong, but He Thought He Could is one of my favourite episodes. And uh, to my teacher friends, if I ever make you watch Married to Children and Me, I'm showing you He Thought He Could first. <laughs> and, you know, one more coincidence, I know Alex used to love to do these, is that we our recording date is very close to the anniversary of the premiere date of this episode. Yeah, we could lie and say that it is the same date, <laughs> but what? Well, yeah, we're about a week week out. Yes. Okay, so the show opens, and Bud has a new girl. Mm, he does. He does. Uh, yeah. So it looks like his f- things have turned around for Bud, haven't they? Yeah. So I guess Amber is long gone. Sorry to upset you guys, but I guess she's she's definitely <laughs> out of the picture. <laughs> She's she's yeah. gone back to LA, and a- as is Kerry Russell. Yes. Yes. Well, she went to yeah she went to work at some sort of radio station. <laughs> yeah, but now he's got it. Bud has a girl called Jamie, and he tries very unsuc- unsuccessfully to undo her bra. <gasps> oh. <laughs> Bud. 
Have you ever done this before? What? You mean have sex? Yeah. Hundreds of times. Oh, I mean with someone. <laughs> well, girls don't usually ask me that until after the deed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Played by Jennifer Aspen, I believe uh, Jamie was. Yes. And Jamie's very cute, but um, do you think she sort of looks different to other girls that Bud's dated? Or is she sort of similar, but um, what am I trying to say? Maybe she's not as trashy as some of Bud's flings in the past? Yeah, she looks more innocent. Just going through those golden curls of hers. Um, I mean, she's got obviously got that skimpy top on, but she does look a bit more innocent than, say, Amber. Um, she doesn't look quite as, like, uh, fiery hot as, say, Amber or other birds uh, Bud has dated. Yeah, a bit more homely, perhaps. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's, I I would sort of agree. I mean, she does look the part, but, I mean, her dialogue says that she's not as innocent as she appears to be. Yeah, because she does ask Bud whether or not he's had sex with somebody before. Yes. Yeah, I, I thought the, the, the interesting, you know, the opening joke there is about, uh, you know, the trying to undo the bra. I mean, I, I will say, like, to a guy, like, a bra is one of those uh, uh, interesting, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, devices. It's like, hmm, how does this operate? I guess the first time, like, you know, you're trying to work with one, it's like, hmm, how does this really work? <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of a, either a meme or an old joke or something. Uh, this is years ago before memes were a thing. But um, for guys, uh, something you would refer to as a thingy was on the back of a bra, whereas a, a woman would describe a thingy as something under a car hood. Oh, okay. <laughs> like oh. this thingy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're in Bud's bedroom, and um, it, it's intentional that we get a, quite a good look at Bud's bedroom, but um, he's you he, get a definite good look of that ice cube poster on the back of his door. Yes, but yes. there's a there's a poster to the left of that, and we've we've seen it before, or um, unless I'm thinking ahead that we'll see it again. But it's the the chicks in the white bikinis, and it says "Tour of Duty" on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that poster yep. is. Do you guys know? No, I I did notice that. I, I know that uh, that's one of the things, Annabelle. Like uh, one of the things I've learned from you is you know to pay attention to what's on the set. Um, and I did notice the uh, poster of the girls with the white bikinis, as well as the ice cube poster. But uh, no, I don't know what where exactly it comes from. No, because the the I ice cube one either. is pretty pretty obvious. But I'm just wondering if that tour of duty is uh, either a tour or an album by some sort of rap group. And all I found about Tour of Duty was the 1987 to 1990 CBS military drama television series. I'm pretty sure it's not relevant to that. No, I don't think it is. I mean, someone out there might know what it is, or it could be, you know, a mock-up, an original mock-up. That's probably more likely, because all we're going to find is Tour of Duty, that mil- the Vietnam era set in Vietnam war um, military show from the late 80s. That's all I can find. So, listeners out there, that tour of duty image um, seems to be attributed to a lady named Sandy Taylor, and we've found a version of that picture on eBay. So, if you head to eBay and search for tour of duty bikini poster, you might find that exact poster, and it's in pretty good quality. You might be able to print it out in colour and stick it on your wall, or just buy it straight from eBay. 
Uh, is is that the same uh, Sandra Taylor who appeared on the show? Oh, it might be. Possibly. Remember Sandra Corn? Yes. Sandra Corn Taylor. That, that, that's who I'm thinking. Hi. Are you Al Bundy? Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, and that's my uh, my my housekeeper Consuela. Uh, uh, Consuela upstairs, though. I'm his wife. It's a marriage of convenience. Um, unfortunately, not mine. I'm deporting her. Um, can I get you a drink or a a, a condominium? Mr. Bundy. My name is Naomi and I'm with Victoria's Secret. Oh, I love your work. I know. I've seen your face prints on the window. The mall sent me over here to ask you if you would join us in our carpool. I'm in. <laughs> Let's go. Adios, Consuela. Actually, I'm not driving, but several of our models do live in the area. They do? Oh, Consuela. <laughs> We live model adjacent. Blot your chin. And your pants. So, uh, when do my models come to get me? 7 a.m. Oh, that's good, because I don't have to be there till 10, which gives me a lot of time for coffee, cartwheels, and uh, a cold shower. He's just kidding about the shower. Here are your models' names. Why, thank you. Bye. Bye. It probably is. Well, she may be at the right age, because this Sandra Taylor was born Boxing Day 1966, so she would have been 24, 23 or 24 when that photo was taken. Hmm. Yeah, well, more research there. Mm-hmm. I did notice there's a camera in Bud's bedroom that's pointing out the window. So what's he taking pictures of? Is he being a peeping Tom, is he? I don't know, but Marcy better not work... <laughs> Yeah, well, he was the Lover's Lane peeper, as we, mm-hmm. all, as we all remember. Yes, yes. He was. So, Jamie mentions that um, she's nervous because Bud's parents are right next door, but they're across the, they're across the hall, but, you know, same thing. We'll give, we'll give her that. That's just me being pedantic again. So, Bud points out that he's got all these locks on the door, and he's got, what, six, seven locks? Yeah, he's got, uh, what, under trois quarts, song, seven locks. <laughs> I mean, you just know that that's not going to keep his parents out, but... Um. You <laughs> <laughs> ...can possibly disturb us. Well, I guess I'm just being paranoid. And the truth is, I do want you... badly. <laughs> then that is how you shall have me. Oh, hi, son. <laughs> Don't mind me. Just keep on doing what you're doing. <laughs> I can't find my biggins. <laughs> you haven't seen any biggins, have you, son? <laughs> but Bud's never, ever been caught doing anything with himself. Yeah, I know he's caught in later episodes, but surely I think he's been caught in previous ones, hasn't he? Yes. I really like uh, Jamie's line when she says, <laughs> it's like, you know, with real people. <laughs> <laughs> and I like her follow-up 
I, the truth is I do want you badly. And Bud says, then that is how you should have me. <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, you know, we usually talk about callbacks. I'm going to do a call forward to the end of this season. Uh, in um, there's the scene where Peggy's rival <laughs> says to Alice, like, I want you in the worst way. <laughs> says, that's the only way I know how. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a nice little bookend to the season. Yes, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they start making out, and of course Al comes in, busting like credit cards through all the locks. <laughs> there, don't mind me. <laughs> Al, Al can't find his big guns. You haven't seen any big guns, have you? Uh, let me have a look around. Uh, no DVDs, DVDs, books, more DVDs, beer, computer. Nope. No, but it's a special edition, you see. It's Biggins Behind Bars. Oh! See, it's a, it's a special edition. Biggins Behind Bars. In my humble opinion, best damn magazine ever published. <laughs> Why would I need that kind of stuff? You know I slay the babes. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Oh, here it is. My Biggins. Ooh, chain gang. <laughs> Which paints a picture. So we get a, we get a uh, an appearance from ISIS. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, and I actually I, I question that one, uh, Annabelle, because this doll's hair color was dark, like a black hair, and I always thought, I guess from whatever we've seen ISIS in the past, she was blonde, unless maybe she's wearing a wig. <laughs> oh yes yeah I'm, I'm wondering if this is uh, the same <laughs> one who was buried in the backyard or not mm. or maybe this is a new Isis maybe this is Isis Mark 2 or Mark 3 or whatever <laughs> well she doesn't get called by her name Isis it's just you know you know I slay the babes yeah, so, so this one has like a hole in her or something like that you know she can't inflate <laughs> 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 so Al finds his magazine and leaves Bud to it but Jamie wants out and then Bud convinces her to stay so Bud says that Al hasn't been himself well since Desert Storm whoa, whoa. I was just buttoning up my cutoffs and saying goodbye until you got your own place Jamie, Jamie, no, no, listen, listen listen, th the reason I'm living at home is is to help out with Dad. See, he, um, he hasn't been himself since, um, well, since Desert Storm. <laughs> he was there? No, but he, um, he watched the whole thing on CNN. <laughs> oh, I am so sorry. Take me now. <laughs> And like you guys, he watched the whole thing on CNN. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, Bud watched the whole thing. As, yeah, he watched the whole thing on CNN. That's what Al did. So the first Persian Gulf War in 1991 was a watershed event for CNN that cat catapulted the channel past the big three American networks for the first time in its history, largely due to an unprecedented historical scoop. CNN was the only news outlet with the ability to communicate from inside Iraq during the initial hours of the coalition bombing campaign. 
with live reports from the Al Rashid Hotel in Baghdad by reporters Bernard Shaw, John Holloman and Peter Arnett. Unable to immediately broadcast live pictures from Baghdad, CNN's coverage of the initial hours of the Gulf War had the dramatic feel of a radio broadcast and was compared to legendary CBS news anchor Edward R. Morrow's gripping live reports of the German bombing of London during World War II. And despite the lack of live pictures, CNN's coverage was carried by television stations and networks around the world, resulting in CNN being watched by over a billion viewers worldwide. Wow. Uh, And that was huge, uh, you know, for us in the United States. When I remember my parents got cable TV just about this time. And, you know, I remember watching, I think one of the things about the Gulf War, the first Persian Gulf War, as I guess it's referred to as now, is that, uh, you know, you're pretty much watching and listening to what was going on there, you know, live. I think it was probably one of the first modern wars. Like, if you look at a war like Vietnam, you know, you had television coverage and people watched things in the evening news. Like, this was actually where, I think, just by quirks of the uh, of the time zones, you know, you could actually listen live in terms of what was going on. So, uh, it was definitely a watershed moment for CNN, and I think culturally, this is it was probably the beginning of like that twenty four hour news cycle for us. Mm. Where, like, you know, prior to that, you used to watch the news at the 6.30 World News with uh, on, a- on ABC, NBC, or CBS. And now, all of a sudden, you know, you could turn on CNN and watch it all, all day long. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it must have been incredible back then. That's had its pros and its cons over the past 30 years, that's for sure, the whole 24-hour news cycle. Oh, Absolutely. You know, I mean, there there is something to be said, I'd say, about the old days. You know, not that I want to wax nostalgic, but um, there there's something about, like, taking some time to, like, analyze it and dissect it a little bit instead of just, like, sort of sitting there and just watching it over and over again. But people love it, and I think people listen to it because, like, they want to see if there's any update and get, like, a real-time thing. I mean, for us in the United States, for example, where I live in the Northeast, it's like watching the Weather Channel on the day that it's snowing. Mm. You know, I mean, pe- people will sit there and have that thing on the entire day. And it's like you're waiting for it to say, well, there are uh, 10 inches of snow forecast. And it's like, oh, well, in this part, in this part, uh, in your in your neighborhood, there is eight and a half. And are we going to get to 10 or maybe is it going to go to 11? You know, and that is the I, I think people, you know, just want this information, especially if it's information that could potentially benefit them in some way. Not that war does, but uh, I'm just saying, like, this is sort of like the culture that has developed over the last 30 years or so. It sort of reminded me of all those kind of TV events or things that are played out in real time on television. I've just been watching the last season of Pose, which is a pretty awesome show, but um, it was set started in the uh, mid to late 80s and then it, uh, the final season got up to 1994 and uh, the first episode was right uh, as it synced up with the OJ Simpson thing so uh, the first episode the news about OJ had just broken and by the end of the episode OJ Simpson was on the run in his in his white car 
The Bronco, the, the the legendary Ford Bronco. Yep. Yes, and they would, and they were just glued to the te- television. It's like, do not turn it off. No, no, something's going to happen. The police are going to shoot him. And because the cast of that show is predominantly black, they're like, oh, OJ's innocent, or he might not be innocent, but he's going to get shot by the police, or or uh, he's practically a white man. And but, but they were glued to the set, and it just took me back to the mid nineties, and oh. Well, trying to be alive. Yeah, so all the stuff that went on when I was still not old enough to make sense of it. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that's one of the things as we've been uh, analyzing these episodes of Married with Children, you know, it's, it's really like made me think back to like the beginning. So again, you know, I, I watched it first run back in 1987. I watched it in real time until the end in 1997. And, you know, you sort of think about how much that the world has changed. Like, you know, looking at a season one episode and taking it into the context of its time and the world that it was created in versus, you know, what we're reviewing now at the beginning of season 10. It's like the world had changed dramatically, you know, in many respects, in terms of technology, in terms of the way people uh, interact with the world, you know, the way they're getting information. I mean, by 1995, you're, you've entered the Internet era. <laughs> a very very primitive form of the internet era compared to today but you know now all of a sudden and Annabelle I know you remember this this uh, time period because I used to read your stuff on the internet <laughs> which came out a couple of years after this but you know now all of a sudden it's like hey if you're watching you know married with children you can connect with people at the other side of the world <laughs> who are fan, who's a fan like you and they point out things like this it's like hey like look at Kelly's hair and you know look at what uh, you know Ed O'Neill's wearing and uh, maybe a character biography other than just seeing them on screen and uh, speaking of bikinis and bras and all that kind of thing <laughs> yes uh, Bud seems to have talked Jamie into staying and she says, take me now. And they start to kiss. And then Peg comes in and says, but have you seen my red bra? Yeah, she does. Yes. Of course she has a red bra. Yeah, of course. It has to be red. But have you seen my red bra? Well, we got all the stuff out of your son's room. Where do you want us to move this junk? Don't know, don't care. <laughs> the boy said he'd have an apartment by six, so in the words of his loving mother, keep moving till I tell you to stop. <laughs> or in the words of my loving husband, the sooner it's out of here, the better. <laughs> and Luigi just mentioned season one, and um, I just realized something about season one. They, I really only uh, learned today when I was checking the Married to Children wiki. In the next scene... There's some movers carrying a, a big chest out of Bud's room, presumably, down the stairs. And the yeah. guy and the mover who has lines, you know, where do you want me to put this? He is the same actor who played Kelly's friend Dweeb in season one. Well, if I can't have a party, can I at least have a couple of friends over? I don't see the harm in that. Do you, Steve? Yes, I do. <laughs> sure. Go ahead and call them. I already did. Uh, listen, I really like one of these guys. He's real nice. But don't make any sudden moves, okay? I guess I can dial 911 slowly. Hey. 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 Uh, this is Sean, Debbie, and Dweep. Dweep just got out. Human life means nothing to me. And I didn't really put it together. Because, um... 
there's a lot of actors who repeat parts in this show, but between season one and season ten, <laughs> Dweeb has um, pulled himself together <laughs> yes. and gotten a job as a mover, but it's the same guy, it's the same actor, he sounds totally different, of course, but he's the, the guy who says, you know, human life means nothing to me. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but now he's a, a moving, a removalist. So yes, Bud is moving out, but where's he, where's he going to move to? Yeah, where is he moving to? Is he moving to the south side, Milwaukee, Minneapolis? Yeah, where is he going? And I, I noticed they don't really know or care where they're going to put all his stuff. They just want it out of there. Yeah, that's not very good for removalist. That's, that's, I, I, I'd want my money back if they treated my stuff like that. Yeah, keep moving till I tell you to stop. Yeah, like when I moved house, I made sure I took my Married to Children poster, um, which I, cost me several hundred dollars. I took that in my car myself. So did I. Good. Because <laughs> a friend from England sent me that poster. I had it matted and, and mounted. But yeah, I don't. I haven't contacted, been in contact with that friend for a long time. So that's my favourite poster. And it lives on the wall. Nice. So Marcy and Jefferson come in and they've got some... Some what I call polite presents for when someone is moving up in the world or moving out or a big change in their life. Yes, yes. Uh... Oh, well, I can't believe our baby boy is finally moving. Baby boy, Peg. He's older than you tell people you are. <laughs> I was very young when I got married. And I was very drunk. <laughs> So, where's the cool guy who's ready to leave home and bag some babes? Right here. Please, you can't even bag your own wife. Oh, I can bag her, but it doesn't do me any good. I remember what she looks like. Oh, Marcy, fruit. Oh, Peggy, this basket is a gift for Bud. Well... That's very thoughtful, but I'm sure he wouldn't want it if I touched it. <laughs> or coughed on it. <laughs> or <laughs> throw dirt all over it. <laughs> Gee, I can't imagine why Bud would ever want to leave here. Yeah, but what do they have? Uh, oh, it looks like a yeah, it's a basket of uh, looks like turnips. I think so. I mean, they say it's fruit, but but I'm curious. I mean, the Bundys don't eat vegetables, and I don't really recall them ever eating fruit. So I thought that was an interesting uh, present. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely grapes. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely uh, it looks like a fruit of a different angle. You can see the grapes in a different angle, but um, another angle just looked like uh, root vegetables. Yeah, I, I thought it was bananas. I mean, I saw, I saw the grapes and the bananas. I think they're very thick bananas, actually. There's a couple of bananas there, and there's some banana-colored round things in the middle. Yeah, I can definitely see bananas now. Yeah, very, very big steroid bananas. <laughs> yeah, and then they touch it and cough it on it and throw dirt all over it. Cheers, Kelly. Thanks a lot for ruining my fruit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amasi has one of her... Little semi flashbacks. <laughs> oh, yeah, one of her stories. Yep. But God, I do remember my first apartment. My roommate and I were both single, bursting with ripe, flowering womanhood. 
The sexual revolution was in full swing and we were a happening. Wow. I bet you were having sex all the time. No. That cheap slut of a roommate stole all my boyfriends. I've never forgiven mom for that. Oh, <laughs> oh, poor Marcy. So Luigi's written here that, you know, you assume she got the runny eye after Marcy was in college. <laughs> You'd think. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, just before that, there's the dialogue about uh, Jefferson having a swinging bachelor pad. Oh, yes. Tell you a little bit about my own swinging bachelor pad. Mirror ball on the ceiling, water bed on the floor, fake medical degrees on the wall. <laughs> oh, God, I have fun at that place. Have. Having. Not had. Have. Yeah, having. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 you know, uh, that's pretty stereotypical. I, I, I wonder if in Australia, like, a, that's the image of a bachelor pad. If I guess our cultures are, are the same that way. <laughs> it's just, you know... Uh, uh, a mirror ball, in other words, a disco ball on the ceiling, a waterbed on the floor, fake medical degrees on the wall, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Uh, well, I'm a bachelor myself, so my bachelor, my bachelor pad or my house here in Perth uh, does not have any of those things. Uh, but it does have a Married to Children poster in the kitchen, which say the, the cast from 1992, early season seven, are staring at me whenever I cook. And uh, I've also got a David Faustino uh, picture with a few shots of him and also other cast members throughout the years in my living room. So, But my bachelor pad does not have any of those. It's got a lot of nerdy stuff, a lot of my computer, but no waterbed, no disco ball, none of that. I never had a bachelorette pad. I'm not even sure I would call it that. In Australia, just <laughs> I think we definitely have man caves now, but um, and we have crash pads. So I'm not actually sure if we'd, if they would call it a bachelor pad, but I suppose they would if you have man's a bachelor and he lives alone and he's trying to lure in the ladies. Uh, you, you know what actually works? What? Yeah. Like, like 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 actually have a very clean place. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. A lot of actually a lot of single guys that I've known in the past or or know now, their their houses are actually very clean. Yeah, that's appealing. Yeah, the ladies love, you know, seeing, uh, like, mop floors and dusted and things shining, you know, <laughs> and, uh, like, you know, pots and pans that are out with, like, food in them. Mm-hmm. That, seems to do, uh, that seems to do a lot better than a disco ball in a waterbed. <laughs> <laughs> You'll both be pleased to report I did some cleaning today in my house, so uh, I, don't let, I don't let my place get too dirty or cluttered. Very good, very good. But Jefferson... He still doesn't own that place, does he? Surely not. It's not where he goes Thursdays where he says he's playing racquetball. Have? (laughs) Jefferson, you don't still own that place, do you? (laughs) No. And it's not where I go Thursdays when I say I'm playing racquetball. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, racquetball. Yeah, sure, Jefferson. <laughs> but anyway, Bud comes in and the so, okay, let's surprise him. <laughs> but instead of yelling surprise, they're gonna yell get out. Hey you guys, here comes Bud across the lawn. Hey, everybody get down and be quiet. Oh, I think it would make him feel really good if we all yelled surprise. Forget that, we're gonna yell get out. <laughs> get out! What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
can't just throw him out to the cold. No. Yep. Turn in your key. All your stuff's in the street. Here's a lovely fruit basket from your mother and father. <laughs> I also like how Al just takes uh, Marcy's gift and gives it to Bud. It's like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lovely fruit basket. With dirt in it. Hold on to your filthy grapes, Dad. I couldn't find an apartment I could afford. You know, son, the best way to ruin a heartfelt goodbye party is to stay where you're not wanted. Mm. So Bud can't find an apartment he can afford, which I, I, I believe. I don't know what the... The housing market was like in the mid-90s in Chicago. Well, have we established that he's still working at the DMV? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Until the very next episode, yeah. So we can, we assume that he still is, yeah. And plus, you know, he's Kelly's agent as well. He must, he must be making some sort of money. Yeah, he must be doing okay, because I work for the Australian equivalent of DMV, and I'll make decent money enough to own my... I get have a mortgage in my place, uh, but the average cost of a new home in the US in '95 was 158 gr- a grand. American. American, yeah, First, yeah. And in Middle America, that would make sense. Although in the Chicago area, it would be more expensive. Hmm. You know, like sort of the ma- the major urban areas, like the Northeast, where I am, California, and like the area around Chicago, it would have been significantly more than the average. Okay. Yeah. And we also and we also assume that Bud is blowing his money on these girls as well. So yeah, definitely. He's not saving money. Yeah, of course. You know, he's horny. He's young. He 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 just wants a he wants a bit of action. Of course, he's going to spend his money irresponsibly. I just love that Bud. Sort of, it's almost as if he's living in his parents' house upstairs is to blame for all his shortcomings with not scoring with the ladies. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, living at a home does have its benefits in that department, but it's not the only factor, Budrick. No. So, yeah, um, <laughs> Al presents him with his lovely fruit basket and, and pretty much tells him to get out. But And Bud says, no, you're right. He deserves to be Menendez, but he's right. <laughs> now we bought you a lovely cake. The least you can do is get out. <laughs> the most you can do is take your mother with you. <laughs> You cannot just throw him out in the cold. No, no, no. Dad's right. He deserves to be Menendez, but he's right. (laughs) Yet another reference to the Menendez brothers. And they've been covered before on this podcast. I think this is like the third, if I'm not mistaken. At least. Yeah, and and for those of you who don't remember or didn't listen to our earlier podcasts, uh, this is uh, two brothers who killed their parents out in California. Uh, it was a very sensational case, early 90s, and I believe they were sentenced around this time. Ooh, Yeah, nasty. very topical. Well, that's bad enough. Well, hopefully they didn't um, turn them into chili and feed them to a sibling of theirs. Um, to quote an episode of South Park, which premiered six years after this, where Cartman kills a teenager who's been picking on their parents and turns, turns them into chili and feeds them to him. Hopefully they didn't c- turn them into a meal. Dakin spotted them on his property. He shot and killed both your parents. After a night with the hacksaw, I was all ready to put on my chili con carnival so that I could tell you personally about your parents' demise. And, of course, feed you your chili. Do you like it? Do you like it, Scott? I call it Mr. and Mrs. Tenement Chili. Oh, my God!
No. Thank Evans. I can't. I found it hard to watch an episode now. Hmm. No, I mean, I mean, in a future episode, you know, Al says to Bud, "This is when uh, Al is forced to uh, make repairs to the basement that he moves into." Mm-hmm. He says, uh, "You know, um, you know, it's like, but uh, you know, Bud, we're Bundies," and he's like, "What are you going to eat me?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll save it for them, but I thought that that was a great, uh, great reference to Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Kelly who comes over with Bud's main story for the episode. So she's got a perfect idea and a place for Bud to move into the basement. Now, I can't go on living upstairs. I guess I'll just go find a box somewhere. Fine. <laughs> Don't be so down. Listen, I have the perfect place for you to move into. It's lonely, it's grungy, it's creepy, it's you. The basement. Kelly, you may have just hit on something. And for once, it's not a married man. The basement. Lots of cool guys live in the basement, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, the coolest. Uncle Fester. Cousin It, that silly guy with the butterflies from Silence of the Lambs. It's gonna be the coolest pad in town. It's gonna be the Mecca of Chickdom, the North Pole of Nookie. I'm gonna put in new carpets, new lights. New third step. Oh my God! Hmm, yes, uh, yeah, the basement. I mean, ha- as we discussed in the show plenty of times, Australian houses do not have basements, generally speaking. And personally, I don't think I could live in a basement myself. Uh, it'd be too depressing, personally. Yeah, um, every time I see an American sh- show, like a sitcom like this, or, or in Home Improvement, they did a similar thing. Um, when a character moves to the basement... I always picture myself thinking, oh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, back when I was their age, I'm thinking, oh, if I lived in the basement, that'd be pretty cool because I'd be by myself but still part of the family if I needed them, maybe, I don't know, but by myself, have that autonomy and then just um, not be disturbed. I thought that'd be great and then just not have to pay rent. <laughs> uh, to, be, to be teenager, young adult again. Yes. Yeah, the, the, there's there's a little, um, you know, so speaking as a, as an engineer and also someone who knows about like home building, uh, mm-hmm. home building and construction, uh, the reason for basements uh, had to do with how a home was heated. So basements in the United States are common in the Northeast uh, and like the North Northern Midwest because you needed at the time, uh, most homes were heated with oil heat. So typically you would have an oil tank, which would be placed in your basement, and you would have a furnace that was in the basement that would then heat the home, you know, everything above it. You know, modern day construction now, you're using like HVAC systems that don't really require that, you know, and again, we're not using oil heat anymore. So uh, I believe like if you go out to California, in California, most homes are built like there's only one story to them. So in other words, it's like what you would call in the United States a ranch. But uh, traditionally in the Northeast and the area around Chicago, you would have what what we call a colonial style home. And they're built with basements for that specific reasons. The further south you go, 
uh, into the United States where the seasons aren't as harsh, you won't find basements. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, um, especially as um, the bit of Australia I'm living, you could call basically either LA with less people or Phoenix with a beach. And if you think like even further back, it's like uh, if you wanted to heat your home and if you, even if you're, let's say, were heating with wood, you know, you would probably have a place where you would, you know, store your wood. It might be outdoors, but, you know, in the, if there's a lot of snow and ice, that wood need to be kept dry. So you might actually either have it attached to your home or put it into your basement. But, you know, a lot of times you might hear the term a basement or a cellar. And it's for that reason. It's usually for the utilities that are underneath the home. Cool. That, that makes a lot of sense, which is why Australian homes don't really have them. Because as I mentioned, well, even in Tasmania, a colder stage, the winters don't get that cold. No, not really. You might get a bit of snow and that's it, if you're lucky. But lots of cool guys live in basements, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I know a few. Uh, I think Uncle Fester, Cousin It, and the silly guy of the butterflies from Silence of the Lambs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, a reference to Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. And if you have not seen that film, where have you been? I've seen it and read the book. I won't go into what exactly Buffalo Bill does with his victims, but The Silence of the Lambs is a 1991 American psychological horror film directed by Jonathan Demme from a screenplay written by Ted Talley. It's adapted from the book, of course, by Thomas Harris. And the film, you know, it's famously got Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster, and Buffalo Bill was played by Ted Levine. And... Buffalo Bill is a serial killer who skins his female victims' corpses, then leaves a peculiar staple behind within the throats of his victims, and that's a death's head hawk moth. Whoa. And the other two characters that Kelly mentioned are from the same show, uh, Uncle Fester and Cousin It, both from the Adams family, of course. Uncle Fester was played by former child star Jackie Coogan in the original television series and by Christopher Lloyd in the two feature films. And Cousin It, (laughs) of course, he's just famous for having that wall of hair. I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Surprisingly, I'm not. Yeah, even when I had all my hair, I never had the Cousin It look at any point. I mean, we we have that episode coming up, you know, how Bleen uh, was my my, uh, Kelly and... uh, like I said, I think we're slated to all re- all the bald guys are slated to review that. So uh, tune in <laughs> for that. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to that one. That's for sure. I used to tell people for years, it's like you know, if I had my hair back, it's like I'd be an Elvis impersonator on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a there's a another married children connection here. The actor who played cousin It, whose name is Felix Silla was one of the aliens in Married with Children, in Married with Aliens, who stole Al's socks. Ooh. So that's pretty cool. Yes. So Bud loves this idea of living in the basement. So he's, he, he gets all excited. He wants to do it up and, you know, new curtains, new drapes, uh, new carpets, whatever. And a new third step. Yeah. My favorite yeah. running gag. Yay. <laughs> And you know, Annabelle, when I watched rewatched this episode for this, it's like, you know, I, I, I remembered what you've said about that. And I kept looking at the wall and I'm wondering, like, how come that light didn't move? I, I was waiting for that light to move. Same. So they disappointed you that time, huh? 
It did. I even put it in the notes. The light does not move this time. God. You made it too nice, bud. What are you doing to the basement? You made it way too nice. How dare you? How dare you, bud? Yeah, it does look pretty good. We'll get back, get to that in a minute. But first, what? I like that Marcy asked Peggy. What are you going to do with Bud's old room? <laughs> mm, yes. What to do with Bud's old room? Mm. Yeah, I think we know what's going to happen to Bud's old room. Uh, I think we do, but you're saying sorry? Uh, well, it's that impending call of um, plot advancement coming up. Uh, <laughs> as a, a, <laughs> a phrase I stole from a TV website. <clears throat> so Al should be happy that his son is moving out and becoming a man, but Al's convinced that his son is not becoming a man, he's becoming a mole. Because Aww. he's burrowing down. My son is burrowing down and becoming a mole. <laughs> Besides, as bad as this is, you just know that something worse is going to happen. Don't you know that all horrible things happen in threes? Celebrity deaths. Polly Shore movies. <laughs> Wilson Phillips. <laughs> Oh, so uh, just um, Annabelle, Luigi, um, what did your respective um, parents do uh, to your old rooms when you mo- respectively moved out? Mine became my dad's study. My dad's office. Nice. So they have an office each. Well, my parents have kept all the bedrooms and they're now used for grandchildren. Aha. Uh-huh. When, oh, nice. Whenever they sleep over. Oh, nice. As for mine, uh... Mine is now basically where um, I think dogs sleep in there. And uh, yeah, I think pretty sure it's used for storage and where the dogs sleep. My cats also take over that room as well. One of their litter trays is up there. Oh, yeah. So yes, the phone has rung. And Al immediately knows that something worse is going to happen. Because Mm -hmm. all bad things happen in threes, right? In my own case, Marion Peg, but not moving out, and... Three, two, one. Al, something horrible has happened. <laughs> the hell you say? That was Dad. He and Mom had this big fight, and now Mom left and he can't find her. Yeah, so celebrity deaths, Paulie Shaw movies, and Wilson Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> and that's funny. Uh. I mean, Paulie Shaw, he was pretty popular around this time, and I think I've only seen about two Paulie Shaw movies, I think, and seen him man and son-in-law. Yeah, I think I also saw In the Army Now. Those are the three that I remember. I, I think I saw a Goofy movie, but that's it. <laughs> well, the, the title says it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Al mentions Wilson Phillips as a, a random trio, <clears throat> and they're an American vocal group, and they're consisting of the the daughters of other rock stars. So it's Carney Wilson, who's the daughter of Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, and and Wendy Wilson, and China Phillips, who's the the, the daughter of John and Michelle Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas, and their biggest hit in 1990 was a song called Hold On, and that was huge that was everywhere and their album in the same year sold over 10 million copies worldwide and placed three number one singles on the hot 100 making them the the best-selling female group at the time and they won the billboard music award for one the for hot 100 single of the year for hold on in addition was nominated for five grammy awards and two american music awards and Hold On is not a song I'm a fan of, 
But there is a, a parody that was on an Australian TV show called Fast Forward. And anybody my age or older will know what I'm talking about. I don't know if Matt's familiar with Fast Forward because it would have been on just before he was born and just after he was born. But my three favourite ladies from Fast Forward did a lot of music parodies, especially Gina Riley, who did a lot of music parodies on that show because she could actually sing. So they, the three of those ladies who incidentally went on to do Kath and Kim and shows like that, they did a parody of Wilson Phillips and instead of Hold On, it was called Wholesome. And it's on YouTube <laughs> and you can watch it and it's hilarious. And Magda Zubansky looks so much like Carney Wilson, it's unnerving. Nice. Well, just... Just to clarify, so I have seen Fast Forward. I even have the best of Fast Forward lying around my house. Uh, there's quite some, there's some good stuff there. If you, want, if you want some Aussie comedy, Luigi, check it out. It's especially all the parodies um, at the time. Uh, a lot of them Australian, but um, like Skippy the Kangaroo finds a nuclear bomb. <laughs> oh, do hurry, Skip. There's less than a microsecond left. I know you want one, Skip, but you can't have a cigarette that bad for you. Work faster, Skip. Hang on. What'd she say, Sonny? She didn't say anything. She's ticking. Australian politician, uh, um, well, Annabelle knows I'm talking about, goes on Family Feud. We surveyed a hundred people in the audience and asked them to name a common household pet. Sir Joe. Uh, a police dog. <laughs> a yes. police dog. A police dog because you can roll him over and scratch his belly and he'll scratch you, you scratch his back and I'll scratch my back. <laughs> Show me police dog. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, police dog. Yeah. Um, I think you find a police dog around your house. Oh, yes. <laughs> Matt, hold on to that DVD because those DVDs are now out of print. What? I had to get them because it's it's. I can't really, really show it because there is, yes, there is some black face. There is some yellow face. It's a bit, you know, not very PC. So I think all those are out of print and I had to find them on eBay myself. So hang on to those discs. Yeah, there is a blackface parody of the Cosby Show, so uh, yeah, that's the main bit of blackface they did. So uh, yeah, just a heads up, Luigi. Now you know, and one thing I'll say about uh, Wilson Phillips as a group, you know, I effectively they, you know, if you think of like the marketing image, you know, they, these were, you know, rock and roll princesses. Mm. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, between the Beach Boys and the Mamas and the Papas, and you know, the style of music which I thought was. Uh, from a marketing perspective that was great was the fact that they pretty much took that Beach Boys sound, you know, that harmony. That vocal, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, the vocal harmony and transferred it over to females because you really didn't get that Beach Boys sound uh, uh, from, a, from a group of females. Now, the Mamas and the Papas, obviously, you had, you know, great female voices as well that were harmonizing, but they were able to get a very unique sound that hadn't been heard, and I think that that was part of the the allure of it, you know. And, yeah. and I do I, I do appreciate their music. So uh, that was uh, 
I think one of the the jokes. And I think the threes was it's like Wilson Phillips just because there were two Wilsons and then and then a Phillips, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I guess I was I was try, I was trying to get to like okay, what, what what's the joke about Wilson Phillips? But uh, well, there's three of them. I yeah. Think, <laughs> I, I think that's that's what it is, right? Yeah, it's just three of them. Now they were so popular, like, especially that song. It just become oversaturated by this point. But they were decent as a vocal group. So the third thing, well, yeah. in Al's case, well, Al's stretching his, his own bad threes, but yeah, you know, marrying Peg, Bud not moving out. I mean, there's quite a bit of time in between those two events. But the third thing, yeah. something oh, horrible no. has happened. Oh, no. I think, it ha- I think it happened. The hell you say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think this horrible thing happened over the state line in Wisconsin somewhere. Yes, uh, Peg's father has just run. So he, he and um, her mother have had the, this massive fight, and now mom has left, and he can't find her. <laughs> and Al asks if she's looked behind the Rockies, but yeah, Al's not too. F- he's a bit nonplussed. He's um, he's not too fast, and it's like he he knows exactly where the blothering beast doth blow. I believe he's uh, quoting Moby Dick. I think so. I couldn't find the exact quotes or anything. It could, um, yeah, possibly. Well, we can assume that going on by size. So, well, yeah, Al knows exactly where Peggy's mother, who does not have a name, where she has ended up. Yes, I just, I, I just refer to her as Mrs. Wanker. Well, they just refer to her, uh, including Ephraim, have referred to referred to her as Mama. So. Yeah, Mrs. W. No, that my mother's Mrs. W. This is Mrs. Wanker. So, yep, where is she? Ding dong! <laughs> Margaret, open the door! It's your mother, and I'm hungry! <laughs> Yeah, I have to love that camera work, like, you know, how, like, the, it looks like the whole set is shaking. Yes. You know, but, I'm, but obviously, like, they're shaking the cameras to make it appear as if the room is shaking. Yeah, but a nice effect on the, on the coffee or the tea, whatever it is, the black coffee, <laughs> and everyone reacting as though everything's been shaking, and there's a, a big shadow over the whole thing, including a big shadow at the front door, and every, each, the four of them in the room get there. Well, the three of them get horrified close-ups and then Peggy's all happy. And we hear Peg's mother. It's, we hear her voice for the first time. And she says, Margaret, open the door. It's your mother and I'm hungry. And it's interesting that this is the first time we hear Peg's name. We, do, we hear Peg's full name, Margaret. And there's probably people out there who didn't even realize that Peg was short for Margaret. When I was a young and I, I didn't know Peg was short for Margaret. I'd heard of Meg, but not Peg. I just hadn't thought about it. Just one of those names I just hadn't hadn't considered. Peg could be a corruption of Meg, as in Megan, like how Robert can become Bob. Is that right? Yeah, or how you can get Ned or Ted from Edward. That's true, like Ted Bullpit, another famous Australian, as I've talked about in the show before. Yeah, or Dick from Richard, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, but 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 I think you're right. I've never really like understood how you get Peg from Margaret. So Peg's mother is voiced by Kathleen Freeman, 
And she is a famous actress. Well, I say is. I mean, she passed away in about 2001, I think. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Kathleen Freeman. Yeah, so, uh, so 20 years ago. Yep. Yes. She passed away on August, August 23rd, 2001, and was born February 17th, 1919. So she had a good 82, 82 years of life and uh, 50 years of an acting career. Yeah, she's been in films, television, voice acting, obviously, and stage. Yeah, a career more than 50 years. And she often portrayed acerbic characters like this, like maids or secretaries or teachers or busybodies, nurses and battle-axe neighbours and relatives, mostly for comic effect. And I suppose what I most uh, recognise her from, other than Married with Children, is the third Naked Gun movie, for example. Yeah, well, well, for me, it's uh, the Blues Brothers. She plays the Oh, penguin. yes. You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. It saddens and hurts me that the two young men whom I raised to believe in the Ten Commandments have returned to me as two thieves with filthy mouths and bad attitudes. Get out and don't come back. Until you've redeemed yourselves. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, I'll, I'll tell you her her line of dialogue. It's like you know, Isaac. You know, she, she, I mean, she plays a cat like an Irish Catholic nun, like to a T. It's like I can't believe how like two boys who I raised to believe in the Ten Commandments can grow up to be two thieves. <laughs> you know, get out! <laughs> don't come back until you redeemed yourselves. And it's like there's like the halo. Like she comes pulled out. You know, Cab Calloway says, "Boys, you got to learn not to talk to a nun like that." <laughs> <laughs> So we never actually see Peg's mom in the show, spoiler alert, but we never see her. And like we've mentioned, she's one of the great unseen characters. But if you remember back in season two in For Whom the Bell Tolls, or For Whom the Bells Toll, yep. That's uh, right. Peg's mom comes to stay and we see her in bed next to Peg. It's just a huge lump in bed with her, snoring away. Yep. And Al's on the couch uh, with that light <laughs> shining in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. But Peg's mum has been depicted in the comics, in the Married with Children comics. Now, Luigi, you have most, if not all, of the comics, don't you? All of them? Yep. Yeah, and I believe it, it, there, there's two of them. I believe she's depicted twice in two different comics. That's one of the things that we'll do probably before we get to the series end is just to you know go through all of the comics and just lay out uh, that world mm. of Married with Children. Awesome. Yeah, because I've got a lot of the comics, but I, I'm not entirely sure which ones I'm missing. So that's something else I have to go through. So Peg's mum was pretty much depicted as basically a, a larger, fatter version of Peg, right? Basically, yeah. Yes, at least 500 pounds probably. And uh, yeah, all she cared about was, was food. And you knew she was around when she was in your house, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's not just that... I mean, at least from what I got from the comic book depictions, it's not just that she is enormous, I guess, the way that they try to describe her, but she, and at least in the comic book series, like, she is very mean to Al. Like, it's not just... Like, like one of the things I don't think it's established on the show is, it's like, what is it that Al really doesn't like about... And I guess this is just a standard mother-in-law trope. Yeah. But, you know, we never we never really hear Peg's mom saying anything negative about Al. 
I, I really have to like sort of like like anytime like depicted like we're pegs on the phone. Like at one point, it's like you know, it's like oh, like Al, do you want to speak talk to mom? And it's like yeah, and he just hangs up on her. Yeah, you know, but 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 you don't really see that aspect of it. It's like well. I could understand why Al doesn't want to speak to his mother-in-law because she's mean to him. She makes fun of him, whatever. But um, like it, that's to me is like one of the missing links in from the show. In the comic books, that is depicted. Right. Okay. Yep. So it's earned. Yeah. So that little Jurassic Park parody closes out the end of Act One, and so we open a few days later. You know, Peg, I hate it when your mom weebles down here for her little midnight snacks, which last till nine in the morning. Mom does not eat between meals. Oh, no, Peg, because in order to eat between meals, the first meal has to end. Al, don't you know how traumatic this is for me? I now come from a broken home. As do I. And you can notice that the, the railing of the stairs has been damaged. Yeah, it's like bent steel. <laughs> yeah, and, and Al can't put it back, just on brute force alone. Yeah, so Peg's mum's been there for a few days, and she weebles down the stairs for her little midnight snacks. And say midnight, they last till nine in the morning. Because she's, she doesn't actually eat between meals, she just never stops eating. Yes, that's true, uh- and a weeble, yeah, she says weeble. A weeble is a is a, a range of um, those children's toys that that, that roll, don't they? This is like those egg shaped um, weebles. Weebles. They've got a weight at the bottom, and they sort of rock back and forth and can't tip over, sort of thing. Okay, yeah, I, I missed that line. <laughs> yeah, sort of um, gravity has to bring it back into its upright position. Yes. Yeah. So we see the effects of Peg's mum, but we never actually see her, and we just hear her voice, and we will hear her voice about... Well, Kathleen Freeman voices her in five episodes this season, and she is just here for season 10. I mean, she's mentioned again in season 11, but she's, she's kind of the seven of season 10 and I hate to make you all think of that little Cretan. person called Seven. Oh yuck. But this is an improvement on Seven but it's still you know a family a random family member coming into the family and she's just written in for time to time and, and she'll disappear mid-season. So <laughs> whether or not she got stuck upstairs and just left or <laughs> but yeah we get to meet Peg's parents at least. Yeah, which is which is nice. It's nice to well finally meet uh, Peg's mum and dad at this point in the series. Mm-hmm. And her voice sounded very deep in this scene when you know she said she's just retaining water. Peg, because in order to eat between meals, the first meal has to end. <laughs> Al, don't you know how traumatic this is for me? I now come from a broken home. As do I. <laughs> oh, give mom a break. She's distraught. She is humongous. <laughs> I'm just retaining water. <laughs> the Hoover Dam is retaining water. <laughs> She's retaining Skittles. <laughs> Did someone say Skittles? <laughs> oh, yeah, right, Mrs. Wanker. I'm pretty sure the Hoover Dam is retaining water. You're retaining Skittles, Mrs. Wanker. Did someone say Skittles? <laughs> 
Well, I think most of you know what Skittles are. They're fruit-flavoured sweets produced by the Wrigley Company, part of Mars. When I was a boy, Skittles only came in regular Skittles. There wasn't, there weren't even sour Skittles. Now you got regular, sour, tropical, wild berry, dessert, chili. Oh, gosh knows how many more I've missed. <laughs> You haven't had Skittles for a while. I do like a good Skittle myself. They're one of my um more of my nice. fav- favorite uh, mass-produced sweets. I mean, they're not quite my all-time favorite of Fox's glacier fruits, but uh, they are up there. Yeah, and there's also reference to Hoover Dam. I was going to say, I was about to get to, get to the Hoover Dam. So, uh, yeah, Concrete Arch Gravity Dam in the Black Canyon of the Colorado River between Arizona and Nevada in the USA, built between 1931 and 1936 in the Great Depression, dedicated on the 30th of September 1935 by then-President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, involved thousands of workers to build, sadly took over 100 lives, known as Boulder Dam initially, but then renamed back to Hoover Dam after President Herbert Hoover um, by a joint resolution of Congress in 1947 in um, honour of his uh, post-presidential work. It's a big dam. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's the connotation for how it's used on the episode. So Peg does not want to come from a broken home. And her mother said if said she'd take her father back if if he'd come here and apologize. So Peg wants Al to go to Wanker County to bring her father home because she can't do that herself, obviously. No, of course not. But Al hates going to Wanker County because he could end up as pie filling. Go to Wanker County and bring my daddy home, please. Peg, you know I hate going to Wanker County. <laughs> I can end up as pie filling. <laughs> Did someone say pie filling? <laughs> On the other hand, the same thing could happen upstairs. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> but then again, the same thing could happen upstairs. So Al voluntarily leaves. So it's been a few days and there's been some update on Bud's room. Um, Kelly quite sincerely said that it's, it's looking pretty good. And <laughs> Jamie may want to sleep with him, but... Hmm. The cured is May, and uh, yeah, J- Jamie's back in a nice uh, pink top, uh, still looking a very um, girl next doorish, uh, less um, crass um, type of chick than Bud normally dates. Yeah, she seems very sweet, and she's <laughs> she's got a baby brother. Well, you know what, Bud? I've got to hand it to you. Your new room looks pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> when Jamie gets here, she's gonna want to sleep with Mia. Well, no. I said your room looks good. You still look like you. <laughs> I'd date her. I'd date her if I was in that show. I'd date Jamie. Sure, but Jamie's not... She's not sold, especially when she gets butt or horny again about uh, having a house by the lake. But what was so important that I had to drop everything, which happened to be my baby brother, and rush right over here. I did it. I found a new place, and uh, I was hoping you and I could christen it, if you know what I mean. Ooh, Bud, that sounds great. Oh, I hope it's by the lake. I used to date this guy that lived by the lake, and every time I went through the front door, all I wanted to do was rip off my clothes and make love. So where's your place? (laughs) By the lake. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the lake house. Oh, what lake? Like Chickabacomico. <laughs>
<laughs> that did run through my head. Yes. yes. That's a nice lake. I heard it's one of the best in Illinois. <laughs> We'd have more than a more problems than a bidet that isn't firing properly down there. Um well we can't. The um the bidet is it's it's not firing properly. <laughs> but I have an, an equally romantic suggestion. Let's do it right here. You're such a kidder. Call me when your place is ready. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I have a comment about bidets, right? They are very popular in Europe. And, uh, you know, they have a very specific function, especially for women in terms of, you know, helping uh, keep being hygienic, right? But I'd say, like, non-Europeans and even like those of European descent who put them in their bathrooms in the U.S. It's like, uh, I, I, I say like they have them installed, but they, they're usually used for decoration. Usually there's like some kind of like potted plant or like some kind of uh, <laughs> something in there. Like again, I, I call them more of like bathroom decoration in the U.S. than actually something functional. <laughs> yeah, the basket non-existent here in Australia. And which bits of Europe use them, Luigi? Because I've been to the UK five times, Ireland once, and Germany once, and never saw a bidet there. So I'm guessing they're more. Oh, less... oh no, it's Italians. No, Italians love these things. Oh, I thought it might have Ital- been. I, it's, it's... I thought it might have been an Italian thing, or at least a southern or eastern thing. Yes. Yeah. No, uh, Italians. I mean, no home, no Italian home in Italy is without one. But a, a home with an Italian-American in the United States, generally like a fancier home will have one. But usually like whenever I go into a bathroom and I see one, I see that usually there's dust around it because it's not actually used. <laughs> I, I don't think they ever made the assumption like, well, how do you use it? <laughs> so another near miss for Bud. And now, so now we're at Wanker County and we meet Peggy's father. Hey, Ephraim, how many you want for this here reading lamp? That ain't no reading lamp, Twitchy. That's my wife's old eating lamp. <laughs> she used to use it at night while I was asleep. <laughs> I'd be counting sheep and she'd be eating them. <laughs> okay, how many you want for this here eating lamp? It ain't for sale. It's my wife's and I miss her and I get giving it to me. <laughs> so he's having a divorce sale. <laughs> Oh, yeah, divorce. I was going to say, they're doing the very stereotypical Alabama-Mississippi man in, uh, well, um, rural Wisconsin. I have heard that bits of, say, the rural Midwest are very southern in that, in that regard, the whole, well, at least stereotypically on TV. Yes. And this is where we meet Ephraim Wanker, Peggy's divorce. father. Divorce. <laughs> played by Tim Conway. So he's Thomas Daniel Tim Conway, not Tom Conway. And he was born December 15th, 1933. And he passed away just a couple of years ago in uh, May 14th, 2019. He was an American actor, comedian, writer and director. And from 1966 to 2012, he appeared in more than 20 TV shows, series and films. And among his more notable roles, he played... The inept Ensign Parker in the 1960s World War II sitcom McHale's Navy and was a regular cast member from 1975 to 78 on the Carol Burnett Show, where he portrayed his, portrayed his recurrent iconic characters, Mr. Tudball 
The Oldest Man and the Dumb Private. And he co-starred with Don Knotts in several films and was the title character in the Dwarf series of eight sports comedy direct-to-video films. And Dwarf has been mentioned on Married with Children a few times. And he also provided the voice of Barnacle Boy in the animated series SpongeBob SquarePants. In 1970 and in 1980 to 81, he had his own TV show. And Tim Conway was admired for his ability to depart from scripts with humorous ad-libs and gestures, which frequently caused others in the skit to break character while attempting to control their surprise and laughter. He won six Primetime Emmy Awards during his career, four of which were, were for the Carol Burnett show, including one for writing. And if you think about Tim Conway, at least for me, I sort of associate him with the Carol Burnett show because I love her so much and him and Harvey Corman breaking up all the time. And Tim Conway actually appeared in Married with Children's True Hollywood Story in 2001 and actually spoke about his time on the show and about his character. So I thought that was pretty cool. I do too. And when we see him for the first time on screen, the studio audience gives him a very big round of applause. Yes, very enthusiastic. Welcome. And yes, well, they know. Well, actually, legend. I mean, aside from Married to Children, I, f- I think I first saw him when he was the voice in SpongeBob when he was Barnacle Boy. Because um, um, but Barnacle Boy was the Robin to Mermaid Man's Batman. Mermaid Man, of course, is voiced by Ernest Borgnine. Aha, Mikhail's Navy again. Yes. Yep. And speaking of voices, he's been on The Simpsons as well. And do you remember when uh, they say, what's a Tim Conway? And he says, oh, about 120 pounds. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a take on the classic, what's a hen weigh? About five pounds joke, as I first heard on uh, <laughs> Arthur, the art of arc, year, years and years ago. <sighs> so, yes, we meet Ephraim. And there's a guy named Twitchy. <laughs> Twitchy. <laughs> Oh, boy, yes. Um, you can almost hear the banjos playing, I know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's my wife's old eating lamp. <laughs> He'd be counting sheep and she'd be eating them. Roast <laughs> <laughs> mm, lamp. Yep, not for you. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> that, 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 was, that was a great joke. It was. So it's very deadpan. It's like, you know, even like the one about the bear trap. It's like it's a human trap. The bears put it in. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how Al enters the picture. He's He's been snapped by a bear trap, but wasn't particularly convincing because he turns around a bit and the, the trap is just hanging on his belt loop. <laughs> but <laughs> I like the idea that Al <laughs> was going to the toilet and there's a bear trap in an outhouse. But like you say, it's not a bear trap, it's a human trap. So, what does Al hear from Ephraim's bigger half? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what does he hear? So, uh, Al, uh, what do you hear from a bigger half? <laughs> Plenty. She's moved in with me. Oh? Huh. Well, I might have known, huh? Yeah. She always thought you were hot stuff. (laughs) Mr. City Slicker with your shoes. (laughs) Ephraim, I'm not dating her. No, I'm caging her. 
I do like that he gets the wrong end of the stick and thinks that Al's having an affair with her. Of course, yes. <laughs> she always thought you were hot stuff, Mr. City Slicker, with your shoes. <laughs> yeah, because it looks like Al would be probably a millionaire in Wanker County by, by, well, by comparison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's my impression you've got some serious toxins in the well water, or you still miss your wife. <laughs> <laughs> but Ephraim, either he can afford a psychotherapist, or he's got, you know, a, a random cousin that he talks to and calls a psychotherapist. But his psychotherapist told him to try that, or start picking off cousins. Yes. <laughs> it's funny how the whole place clears out. <laughs> yes. And looking around the room at the divorce sale, it's all it's got a lot of farming stuff, junk. It's not to the level of say Fred Sanford's house and Sanford and Son, but it's quite a few. Um, you know, you see a plink flamingos, lo- lots of random bits of uh, bits and pieces. It's um, all very cluttered and. Uh, I can't see anything worth buying myself. Oh, look, old tyres. I think I see a scarecrow. No, I think the Bundy, the Bundyland yard sale in the episode called Yard Sale was a lot better. Yeah, I'd buy something <laughs> from that. I'd buy something from Bundyland. <laughs> it's my impression that, A, you've got some serious toxins in your well water. <laughs> or, B, you still miss the wife. Well, A, I don't drink nothing but sour mash and Robitussin. <laughs> and B, uh, when it does wear off, I, I do kind of miss her. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I don't cough no more. There's still light at the end of the tunnel. She swallow a comet again? <laughs> no, she misses you and she wants you back. All you got to do is say you're sorry. So Efren says that he doesn't eat nothing except sour mash and Robitussin. And Robitussin is a brand of cough syrup and sour mash is moonshine, basically. Yeah, it's very, um, very rural American drink, especially in the South, but um, obviously in the Midwest, too. I've never had moonshine. Luigi, have you? Yes, I have. Any good? Yes. Is it strong? Yes, it's, it's strong. And generally, I mean, I guess pure moonshine doesn't really have much flavor to it. But, uh, you know, nowadays you could also buy them. Like, I think, like, you know, in my local liquor store, you could, you, they, they sell moonshine or like what passes a modern version of moonshine with flavors. But traditionally, it doesn't have uh, flavor. Right. Okay. So it's, it's almost more of like a vodka, you know, uh, like, like that kind of, that kind of distilled spirit, like a vodka or a gin, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds a bit like a martini. Oh, yes. Yes. Shaken, not stirred. I recently had some stirred martinis um, at a show we were doing, and it was just pure spirits. So, if you weren't careful, <laughs> I have to remember to have. I have to have, remember to have mine the way James Bond takes his, as in shaken. Well, what, one of my bosses, one of my old bosses, uh, he um, his signature drink is called a Boy Scout, and it's it's a half it's a half vodka, half gin martini. Okay. You know, and the reason why it's called a Boy Scout is because you need a merit badge in order to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an acquired taste. Uh, he likes it with the uh, blue cheese stuffed olives. All right. But, oh. again, it, it, but it's, a, it's a drink that has very little flavor to it because you know, it's just pure alcohol. 
Uh, yeah. If you should, it's something you should really mix with something. Because, I mean, I'm not the biggest spirits fan, but I like brandy. I like whiskey. Like I like fireball whiskey in particular. Tequila, I could take or love, but I don't mind dropping a shot of tequila in my um, pint of beer, for example. Hmm. No, I, I agree. I mean, generally, like, a spirit is, is mixed with something to give it some kind of flavor. You know, and again, or like, you know, again, like a whiskey or a brandy, um, you know, tequila, I mean, they still have their flavors, but there are certain types of spirits that, you know, it's just a spirit, like, it's exactly what it is. Like it's vodka. Just, it's, just, it's just pure alcohol. <laughs> Looks like water. Yeah, so I figure, like, you know, uh, Ephraim is, is bulletproof, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's drinking moonshine and Robitussin, I guess that's... Uh, and now, Robitussin, um, I, I guess, as a cough syrup, it's like it just keeps him feeling good, right? <laughs> yeah, because he don't uh, cough no more. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, Al says that all he has to do is say his, say he's sorry. <laughs> so Ephraim says he's sorry to Al <laughs> oh so close so Al pretty much convinces him to come back and he'll even throw a pair of his shoes in <laughs> but then of course Al has to ruminate so Al has his speech you know you know, Ephraim you're a braver man than I am and if his wife had ever left him he'd be dancing on the deck of the good ship Hooter Pop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're a braver man than I am. If my wife left me, I'd be dancing on the deck of the good ship Hooter Pop. <laughs> With a smile on my face and my face on a smile. <laughs> ah, God, the times that I've had. But you know, in a strange way, I have to respect your loyalty. It's not every man who would stand by a woman who's large enough to have her own fire escape. <laughs> no, Ephraim, I've got to hand it to you. You're gone. <laughs> Ephraim, get back here, you son of an onion! <laughs> Bear trap. <laughs> the reference to um, the good ship Lollipop, which is um, a signature song of Shirley Temple, way back when. On the good ship, lollipop, it's a sweet trip to a candy shop where bonbons play on the sunny beach in Peppermint Bay. She first sang it in the 1934 movie Bright Eyes, and the song was composed by Richard A. Whiting, and the lyrics were supplied by Sidney Clare. And in the song, the good ship lollipop travels to a candy land. So just think about the kind of land that the good ship Hooter Pop is going to. <laughs> These lines are very um, poignant to me. You know, I, I've mentioned before, I'm a big fan of the Honeymooners. And there is a very famous episode called Here Comes the Bride of the Honeymooners from February 25th of 1956. So, what, so the way that the episode opens is that um, Ralph and Ed are at their lodge, the raccoon lodge, and there's one of their brothers uh, named Stan, one of the raccoon brothers, Stanley, is, is marrying Alice's sister, Agnes. And the boys are toasting Stanley, 
And, uh, you know, they're making like jokes about, well, Stanley now gets to uh, share this dear old mother-in-law of mine, right? And the mother-in-law was a battle axe, also known as Blabbermouth. And uh, what happens in the episode is that after, like he, he tells Stanley, it's like, you know, listen, you're the king of your castle and you have to do, you know, X, Y, like the... And your wife is just a peasant, you know, using all of this language. So after they get married, uh, after Stanley marries marries Alice's sister, what happens is that he turns into a quote-unquote beast. Uh, like, and that's pretty much the plot line of the episode because now, like, uh, Ralph, he find, he's like, if Alice figure, finds out that, you know, I did this to Stanley, she's going to kill me. You know, and that was the plot of the episode. But... Uh, uh, very, very famous and very poignant because effectively it's like, you know, Ephraim is there, like he's going to go back and say goodbye. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, Al plants a seed in his head <laughs> and away he goes. Hmm. Now, one of my teachers in high school uh, who actually passed away 10 years ago, uh, very tragic, died of a heart attack. He loved the honeymooners. Uh, I would talk married with children with him, but he was a really a big honeymooners fan. And this is one of his favorite episodes. Here comes the bride. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so yeah, so you should check it out. Like I said, some I great com some great comic relief. And again, that was forty years before this episode aired. Hmm. Yeah, I need to watch the honeymooners one of these days. The closest I've got to honeymooners is obviously the Flintstones. No, no, you have to watch if you've never watched it, if neither of you have ever watched it, especially you know, Matt, if you haven't watched it, you could find them all on YouTube, but it is definitely it is the gold standard in sitcoms. I mean all of these, you know, what I would say, like these dysfunctional families, in other words, like these not-so-perfect families, they all come from the Honeymooners. It was the first TV show that depicted this not-so-idyllic life. And Jackie Gleason, who created this, I mean, he. the only twist was that he didn't want there to be children. He just wanted this to be the dynamic between a husband and wife with their neighbors, but you sort of see proto-Bundy dialogue if you watch them. And again, there's, there's the classic 39, which uh, you could watch in about a month. And there are a series of what's called the Lost Episodes, which uh, depict a bunch of honeymooner skits throughout the 1950s. There's probably about 200 of them. But they're not as well known because it's only you can only get that on DVD. But you can catch, I believe, all of the classic 39 on YouTube. So... Al tells Ephraim that he has to respect his loyalty because it's not every man who would stand by a woman who's large enough to have her own fire escape. <laughs> but the camera's just on Al at this point. So by the time Al has f- almost finished his <laughs> his thought, Ephraim's gone. And then he steps on a bear trap, or quite possibly the very trap that he just took off himself. <laughs> Oh, poor Ephraim. So Peg's waiting for Al to come back, possibly, hopefully, with his, with her father. But Al just comes in and walks straight past her. And so he has to explain to Peg where Ephraim is. Yes, he does. So after that, Peg has, a, has this speech about, about keeping a marriage alive. You have ruined a perfectly happy marriage. Yet I remain in a perfectly dreadful one. <laughs> If you men only knew what we do to keep a marriage alive. Watching Oprah all day so that we have something interesting to talk to you about. <laughs> Dressing 
like this to keep you excited, taking beauty naps to reverse the aging process, and spending all your money so you feel like a good provider. <laughs> is how I sacrifice for you, Al Bundy. It is a thankless, exhausting job, but I do it. And the only thing I ask in return is that you bring Dad back here, and you fail. This is funny for two reasons. One is <laughs> all the things that she describes and that she does throughout a day. And two is, and I've mentioned this in, in passing on another podcast, but I've heard an outtake from this scene. Yeah somewhere and I'm trying to find it it must be on a file on a disc I've burned somewhere but I can't even find the audio of it anymore but it was on an old Christina Applegate website from the mid 90s well late 90s and it was just audio only Yep. and it was just a news feature on the 10th season of Married with Children and they played a clip from this scene and it was when Peg tries to take Al upstairs um, to give her mother a sit bath. And, <laughs> oh, no. and it's an outtake because they, they crack up laughing. And so somewhere out there, somewhere in the universe on an old news broadcast uh, feature from 1995 there's a clip about married with children they're just doing it like a you know how much the show has changed from then to now you know you can you can you know it's been 10 years and the sex jokes are still cracking them up that was the feature so in this scene where peg's giving that speech to al on the sofa al looks like he's trying very hard not to laugh to me anyway because he he sort of smiles and then the audience laughs at him and then he's reacting to that or reacting to Peg as well. So then Peg takes out by the hand and it's like, you know what this means. So if anybody out there knows what I'm talking about with I've seen this feature, if I could find even a preview of it, which I've found other little clips. I think there must have been some camera crews here at the taping of this episode because there is a behind the scenes feature on YouTube from this episode as well. Just... um. You, you see the cast being introduced and um, there's a, a few cast interviews and they show flashbacks to the pilot so there was a, a like a a retrospect um, as this as this season 10 opened so there is footage out there of what I've just explained but it's a funny scene anyway and we've got Peg saying you know what this means and I was like no not sex now I just need a little more time I'll find him and Peg says no I want you to help me give my mother a sitz bath. <laughs> I want you to help me give mom a sitz bath. <laughs> Can't we have sex? That- <laughs> Later. Right now, mom needs her bath. <laughs> and it's because of Married with Children that I learned what a sitz bath is. Because it's not it's not a it's not a term that we we have here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but I I've never heard of a sits bath. No, I never heard of it either. Although um, maybe we call it a hip bath or something else here, but even then, it's not exactly something you, you really hear much anyway. 
No, and I've really only heard it. I've heard it on other shows, but most mostly on on Married with Children. So a sits bath or a hip bath. It's basically, it's a bath where someone sits up to their hips in water. And I suppose the joke is that it's mostly if you're in pain, for example, you've got hemorrhoids or some sort of even worse issue down there. And yeah, so either due to hemorrhoids or um, perianal fistulas or you've had rectal surgery or an episiostomy or, you know, inflammatory bowel disease or cysts or infections, prostate issues, vaginal issues, ugh. But it keep it works by keeping the affected area clean and increasing the blood the flow of blood to it. So hip baths were originally a European custom, although modern sits baths were used mainly for therapeutic purposes. And sits bath comes from the German word sitzbad or sitzbad, meaning a bath bad in which one sits. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I have a couple of extra anecdotes to add to this. This is okay. actually this is the third time on Married with Children that the Sith's baths has been referenced in relation to Grandma. The first time was on season two, episode seven, for whom the bell tolls, which we discussed earlier. Yeah, the first time we saw we actually see Peg the the shadow of Peg's mom in the bed with Peggy, right? And also, season five, episode two, an Al with Kelly. There was also a reference to Grandma Needs a Sith Bath. Now, mm -hmm. this past summer, uh, I went on a road trip with my children, and we, w we were in Newport, Rhode Island. And there are we saw a bunch of mansions. These are Gilded Age mansions uh, right along the coastline. And you would go into this mansion, and there were these you know bathrooms. And... I guess you guys would call them washrooms, right? But this actually had a bath in it. So there's a, a sink, and next to the sink was this porcelain thing. It, it looked almost like a, like a box, a square box. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what the hell is that? Okay, all right. So I saw this thing. Like I said, it looked like a, again, like a, a rectangular porcelain thing which i thought i said to myself like what could this be for like i don't know does maybe somebody wash their feet in it yep because it's it's it was literally right next to the sink and i asked one of the tour guides i said this is a sith's bath and i thought of the show because that's the only place i've ever heard it before yeah and you know it was literally like a a piece of a bathroom that was made specifically for sith's for sith's bath I mean, you can have a cyst bath and a normal bath, I guess, if you use, like, salts. You know, like, I mean, you could still have a medicated bath inside of a bathtub. But I guess, you know, back in the Gilded Age, if you were rich enough, you can actually have a, a cyst bath, which was its own thing. Right. Yes, yeah, so definitely not very common in Australia, that's for sure, as far as I know. We don't really have a Sitzbatten or Sitzbat. Uh, I'm not sure what the German plural would be, or Sitzbatte, something like that. Yeah, something. But yeah, no wonder Al wants to um, do Peg instead of that. No wonder Al would rather do that. And that says a lot about Al. There's a lot here about um, those, yes. So yeah, Al has to, I like that Al has to put on goggles. So Peggy shoves Al upstairs and Bud looks in and, and it's, it's all clear. So he leads 
Jamie inside and she's blindfolded. Yep, red blindfold, uh, compliments her pink top and Bud is spraying um, misty water around him and playing playing his ocean sounds on a tape recorder. Can't you just feel the, the mist from the lake? Can I take this off now? Allow me. I meant my blindfold, you horn dog. Not yet. It'll spoil the surprise. Okay, now we're in the lobby, walking past my trusted doorman, Rodney. Uh, Rodney, this is Jamie. Oh, oh Rodney, you lout! Take that! <laughs> Sorry, Lord Bundy. <laughs> okay, now we're, uh, Getting into the elevator here. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, going for the um, going for Hooters right there. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she means the blindfold, you horn dog. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, touch by the behind. <laughs> <laughs> so Bud leads Jamie in the lobby past the doorman. And then into the elevator. And we hear that elevator music we I think we've heard before on the show. Not in an elevator, but we heard it, I think, I think, in Al's commercial with the, the fat women in the carpooling episode. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That's, yes. Yep, that's the one. Doesn't feel like it's going up. Oh, it is. <laughs> In ride scare again. And, and, some, and something's going up, right? Oh yeah. Something's going up. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's going up. Oh, it is. <laughs> so we don't actually know how they got from the elevator. To the basement, but a little bit of time has gone past, and Bud's leading Jamie down, and finally reveals the basement. And we touched on this before, but the basement looks pretty good, hey? It does. Looks pretty good. We complete with the um, the, um steering wheel from a from a, from a ship. Yeah, it's a nice little lake house. Oh yeah, but Jamie. You know, yeah, she's she's no dummy, and um. She she knows pretty much straight away that it's his parents' basement. I think you did a great job fixing up your parents' basement. When did you know? Um, when you put the blindfold on me, sat in the driveway, and went vroom, vroom for 20 minutes. <laughs> but I think what you did was very sweet. And to tell you the truth, it turns me on. And it is private. So as they say at the lakefront, let's do the wiggly. <laughs> <laughs> but she knew from the driveway. <laughs> and she didn't really let on. I guess she was just um, um, going to see how far Bud was going to take it. Because like she says, what he did was very sweet. And Bud's like, well, it's private. So let's do the wiggly. Which I've never had a man say, let's do the wiggly to me. 
made me think of the Wiggles. I know that's from Australia, right? Yes. That's definitely, that's definitely Australian Luigi. That's right. <laughs> but, of course, Al comes running back down the stairs to the basement. It's like, everyone, duck and cover. <laughs> because there's going to be another earthquake. Yep, and then I think we have another Moby Dick reference there. Thar she blows. Thar she blows. Thar she blows. Buddy, duck and cover. Your grandma just got out of the tub. She's about to shake herself dry. Thar she blows. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. All right, so Matt. All right. How many sits baths are you going to give Grandma for this episode? Well, Annabelle, I'm obviously clearly a sucker for punishment because I'm going to give three and a half sits baths to, well, I can't, neither of my grandmothers because obviously they both passed away, but they're still around. I give them each three and a half sits baths for this episode. Well, okay, so uh, now we're obviously in the tenth season of the show, but I do like how um, th- this tenth season's idea of keeping it fresh was introducing Peggy's mum. So I don't mind that Peggy's mum care. I don't mind Mrs. Wanker. I mean, obviously never see her, but uh, well, and uh, it was nice to go back to Wanker County again, and uh, you know the divorce there. I'm always a bit of a sucker for the whole you know rural redneck joke, uh, as played brilliantly by Tim, the late great Tim Conway, and oh, and you know Bud getting with another bird, uh, you know, you know, he, uh, even after all this time, you know, Bud's trying to be someone or something he's not, or be somewhere he's not, he's still trying to, well, over-impress when it comes to, you know, finding love, and just how he hasn't learned his lesson is still pretty good, and, uh, well, you know, he mo- he, Bud finally moves out. He moved out before Kelly did, so, because Kelly's still in her bedroom, but, uh, yeah, Bud's now in the basement. Makes you wonder, because um, obviously the show, e- show ends, uh, a season, a season later in season 11 it makes you wonder when Kelly and Bud would have actually left the house in this timeline uh, I like to think both of them would have moved out by the time the, the new millennium called that's just me and uh, yeah so three and a half um, six baths uh, out of five for this excellent very good and Luigi so how many six baths are you going to give grandma for this episode okay so I'm usually known as the three and a half man i'd say in the later seasons but for this episode i am going to give grandma two sith baths i don't know if i say that right i mean like i said i saw sith baths this summer um i'm i mean it's okay i think that uh for a season opener i i wasn't as pleased with this episode as uh some of the other season openers. I think this is very weak. The, I mean, the jokes, for example, you know, Bud having the girl in the, in his room. 
I mean, a lot of it was just like rehashed stuff. Um, I think Tim Conway was good. I mean, I probably would have rated a little lower. It was nice to see him as a, as a character who's been added to the series. Uh, you know, he... But I, I'd say, like, at this point, there was just a lot of, like, slapstick-type jokes. And I generally do not like when it is just slapstick. Like, I actually like good dialogue between the characters that is clever. I mean, and there are a few clever lines here and there, but uh, it's it just seemed more to tend toward the slapstick side. So that's what why I rated it as low as I did. Again, but I mean, it was it was a redeemable. I'm not giving it a one or a zero, but I just wasn't happy with it, especially for a season opener on season ten. I mean, I think that there are some great episodes in season ten. You know, I guess remember it's not all bad, but I just felt that it was a very weak opening. The tooth cyst baths. Okay, fair enough. Hey, fair enough, Luigi. As for myself, I am going to give this episode three sits baths for Grandma. So, yeah, I'm sort of in between you guys, I suppose. I like this episode. I, I'm sort of in, in agreement with you, Luigi, when I, you say there are stronger openings. There are stronger season openings, certainly. That said, this makes me a little bit hopeful for what's going to come in Season 10. Because much like we saw in Season 9, there's there's new avenues to explore with. But they're a lot shorter than Season 9. Because Bud moves out... But he's moved into the basement. It's not as open as, say, Kelly getting a new job or whatever. But I think next week's episode will also open that up for Bud. However, Bud and his girlfriend were very sweet in this episode, I thought. Certainly the Jamie character seems very sweet, maybe a bit too nice for Bud, I'm not sure. But she's a little bit more experienced. I think uh, David Fosino as as an actor is is very good in this episode. when he's talking about watching Desert Storm on CNN, that's for comic effect. And then at the end with Jamie, when she says, uh, you know, I already knew that this is your parents' house. He sounds genuinely hurt. So it's, I think it's going to be a good season for Bud, especially when th- circumstances down about halfway through the season occur. Tim Conway is, is a, a good idea to get someone like him on board to play such a character. And Luigi mentioned slapstick, and unfortunately, that's something we're going to see a lot of when his character is concerned, especially, you know, in episodes around the Barely Men era. So I'm a little bit hopeful for what the beginning of season 10 is going to be, because things do happen and things change. This episode, it's not the strongest opener, as I've said. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I like it. There are things behind the scenes going on that make me interested in what's going to happen going forward. But as an episode itself, it's it's just there and it's it's fine. There's there's a few great moments, great lines, but there's not enough for me to say, yes, this is a great episode. So very much a three out of five sits bus for me. Yeah, pretty good analysis, yeah. I mean, some of the other things I'll say about season 10 in general, season 10, I'd say, I mean, as we discussed, you know, relies on a lot of slapstick. Uh, There's a lot of eye candy in season 10, seasons 10 and 11. There are at least, 
there are probably about a dozen Playboy Playmates <laughs> on screen throughout most of just season 10 itself. You, know, you have episodes where there's like two or three of them at a time. And uh, at least, yes, yeah, at least. And it's and it's almost like every other episode. And, you know, the reason why I bring it up is that, you know, is is it really being used like for a device? I mean, like, for example, there's no sense of reality anymore. Annabelle, you've always said that, you know, you don't like the later seasons because, you know, there's less of an emphasis on the family and the dynamic within the family. And, you know, this this to me is. I mean, my assumption is going to be is this is our shark jumping season because, you know, once you rely on that and it's just like slapstick and just eye candy, it's almost like a Benny Hill show. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's like it, it's less of it's less of married with children. It's less of, you know, the golden years, you know, that that dialogue, let's say, in seasons two, three and four that sort of get at the heart of, you know, Al being this dot downtrodden loser i said just you know scanning the list for season 10 that's what you know i'm looking at and again from my own knowledge obviously of the show this is where you know for me to give higher scores and i will be giving higher scores on some episodes it's like it it just they become harder to do episode by episode because of things like this and like i said it it sort of (laughs) it, it appeals to a certain demographic but like I said, I mean, that's not necessarily the reason why I watch the show and I love the show. Yeah, I yeah. think because um, we have the advantage or disadvantage, uh, however you want to look at it, of watching this in hindsight, in retrospect. Season 10 has never been my favorite season. I'd even go as far as saying it's my least favorite season of all 11 seasons. And I'll be interested to see if that stays the case uh, when this season has finished. And when we come and do... The, come to do the season 10 wrap-up show i'm just wondering which episodes are going to stand out because there are episodes like you say here that i I actually really like and looking at the ones that have been reviewed so far there's there's some higher-ish ratings and i i do think that the first half of the season is better than the second but yes there's a lot of eye candy to the point where it's like why am i a woman watching this <laughs> or uh, also coming up in this season for example you know peg's going to be away for half the season so it's there's a there's a space there so they've they've filled filled up her space with with more eye candy as well i suppose and there's there's some interesting storylines and um you know i wish um, marcy jefferson got more to do and and whatever but yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting going forward, and just to see where people's thoughts and um, if if there is a an actual point where the season or the show jumps, or if it's just from this episode on. Yes, we'll be interested or to see. Has it happened already? Yeah, so there's a, a lot to think about. Yeah, 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 and I, I'd say it's it's really like the satiriz. I mean, a lot of what you see now is a satirization of pop culture. It's not a satirization of marriage, of being, you know, being married and having that dynamic of, of married with children, the initial premise, right? <laughs> it, this yeah. is, the show is now that the premise is we're satirizing pop culture, uh, you know, and the uh, satirization of marriage has almost become secondary. 
that is that it that that's what to me is where the show lost its its rudder. But you know, to be fair, how many more? And I said I've said this before in the past. You know, how many more of these sex jokes, or how much more do you explore that after you've done it for already nine full seasons? You know, m- many sitcoms usually die by seasons five or six. That's a good point. You know, and, and during during this time, so I mean, I can understand that. You know, you, if you wanted to keep milking the cow, you know, you just sort of you know keep running over the jokes. But at some, you keep going back to the same jokes and maybe veering off a little bit. But it's kind of hard for you to end this with that original formula. And I and I get that. You know, again, it's not. You know, we still love, you know, we're all fanatics of the show, but I mean, this is, you know, looking at it critically, this is sort of, you know, my view of it. Yeah, yeah, yes. I certainly understand. I think that's a pretty good um, summation of, um, you know, we're making, it's we're satirizing pop culture now, and it's the same pop culture jokes over and over, so it, the show is getting Dale. repetitive on that now as well, so... It's 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 going to be interesting. Yeah, season ten is my second least favorite season, if I recall correctly. I think my least favorite's eleven. Yeah, I'll be. Uh, uh, sometimes I go a long time without watching season eleven. So when I do see it, it's fresher than say the others, and it's and it does feel like a separate show sometimes. And I guess that's because of things happening behind the scenes and, and whatever else. But yeah. you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Season ten, yeah. Yeah, but uh, Isabel, I think we should also mention Michael Moyet at this point. Um, like at this point, yes. he was gone from the show, and his title in the opening credits is executive creative consultant, I believe, right? That's right. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. So I mean, at this point, you have neither of the creators involved. New writers. In Not this, really. There, no. There were, there were a few new writers, like Calvin Brand Jr. in this season too, and. Uh, because whenever a show changes its writing team, then there's obviously there's a bit of a precedent for a decline like this. Yes, other producers have come to the forefront. You know, people like Richard German and Kim Wiskoff, who who incidentally voices Lucky, although not in this, or not in and Buck and Lucky, sorry, and not in this episode. Yeah, so that's where this episode lies with us. Do you agree? Do you not agree? I mean, there's going to be people out there who think this is going to be a great season, and <laughs> just might. There are some very good episodes to come, but like I keep saying, it's going to be interesting to see um, how this season turns out. So, this has been our review of the first episode of season 10 of Married with Children. Stay tuned for the Aerosmith team, as I call them. <laughs> That's the team of Stephen and Tyler. That's Stephen and Tyler. They will be reviewing a shoe room with a view. When Al and Griff convince Gary to use the extra space for an aerobic studio in the hopes that it'll attract pretty women, when it attracts fat women instead, Kelly convinces her father's boss to hire Ramon. It turns the tide against feminist Marcy. So until next week, same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. Thank you for listening and strap yourself in for season 10.